HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is being brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, believers in good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Inside Julia's Kitchen, the podcast of the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. I'm your host, Todd Shulkin, the Foundation's Executive Director. This show takes you inside the Foundation's world to meet the talented people who we have the great fortune of learning from on a regular basis. On today's show, we welcome Alex Prudhomme and Katie Pratt, co-authors of France is a Feast, the photographic journey of Paul and Julia Child, the first ever published collection, Paul Child's Photographs. In today's episode, we'll learn more about the man behind the woman, what recognition of Paul's artistic merits would have meant to Julia, and we'll also hear Alex and Katie's own Julia moments. Stay tuned to learn what is a Julia moment. In our first segment on Inside Julia's Kitchen, we launched the conversation with an inspiration from Julia. Julia was always adamant that without Paul Child, there would have been no Julia Child. Julia credited Paul with teaching her about the more refined things in life, including art, music, travel, and food, especially food. While Julia pursued learning to cook and working on mastering the art of French cooking with enthusiasm from Paul, it wasn't until he retired that he turned his attention to supporting her ascending career. When the opportunity to create a television show came about, Paul helped Julia make it happen. And while he modestly said he was the washer-upper-in-chief, in reality he helped Julia conceive, plan, meticulously organize the show, as well as many other things in their lives. To wit, the famous pegboard? Paul's idea. In addition to helping Julia become Julia, Paul was also an artist in his own right, notably a talented photographer. Many early images of Julia on the French chefs that were taken by Paul. 
The Foundation's logo and illustrations in the French Chef cookbook were all drawn by Paul. While he rarely sought credit, it was always important to Julia that Paul's talent be appreciated. This brings us full circle to today's guest, Julia's great-nephew and a trustee of the Foundation, Alex Brudhomme, an accomplished author including being co-author with Julia of her memoir, My Life in France, and Katie Pratt, a photography curator and the daughter of dear friends of the Childs. Katie and Alex are going to tell us all about how this book, France is a Feast, of which Julia would be immensely proud, came together. Welcome to the podcast, Alex and Katie. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Great to have you both on the show to talk about what is both a significant achievement and an exceptionally beautiful book. So, Katie, why don't we start with you? Tell us more about how, your relationship with the Childs and then how this book came together. Well, the Julia and Paul moved to Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1961, and that's when my Uncle Davis, who had been a student of Paul's, introduced the Childs to my parents, Herbert and Pat Pratt. And I was just a child then, and we spent many years together with the child, sharing meals, travels, and Paul gave me art lessons when I was a teenager, and um, we had many conversations about art and photography over the years. And then after Paul died, I talked to Julia, I, I... suggested to Julia that I do a book on Paul's photographs, and she immediately said yes and thought it was a wonderful idea. So I've been working on the project since then, and Alex and I teamed up three years ago to do France as a Feast. Can I? Can we take a step back? Because I liked what you said about, you know, that Paul actually taught you something about art and photography. Could you tell us more about what... Because obviously, I think that made a lasting impression. It was that the child had lots of friends. It, it, it's more specific that you were the person who had this interest and wanted to pick it up. Yes, Paul. Well, I felt that Paul and I had we we had a shared interest in art, and he was a a natural teacher. He taught me art and inspired me to pursue a career in art and photography and curating, and it was very important to me after he died to pay tribute to him and share with the world how much, how talented he was, because he did not promote toot his own horn. He, he, he was not, he was not likely to do a book on his own photography, so I wanted to do that for him. And, and do you think that's because he was modest? Do you think it was because he considered his art and a hobby? Or is, it, is that a really difficult question to answer for him? I feel that he was somewhat modest about his work. I mean, he did, his work was published in sub-publications. He was in some photography shows. Um, he has six of his photographs are actually in the permanent collection of the New York MoMA selected by Steichen, but I think I think he was busy in the second part of his life. He was so busy helping Julia with his career that the idea of promoting his own work, just he didn't have time, for one thing. 
But he did continue to make it. Do you think for him that the making of the art and the taking of the photographs was much more of what mattered to him than, than recognition? Yes. Yes. He was more interested in the, the process and creating and improving on his own work than being a commercially successful artist. Because certainly we have him to thank that he he chronicled the huge amount of their life, both um, before Julia was Julia and, and and later afterwards. So even as busy they, as they were, it's not like he put down his camera or his paintbrush and did nothing for, for 40 years. No, he was incredibly busy with his career and then Julia's career. So he but he was he managed to always do his artwork in between and on uh, after hours he was always being a creative person and and is that what part part of inspired you both to to go into art and also to want to want to make this book absolutely yes he inspired me in many ways to pursue a life of being a creative person and not have not doing a 9 to 5 corporate job but to pursue my interests in art and language and travel. So maybe we'll just pivot a second to the book specifically, um, since many people might not have actually um, seen it or or looked at it. Um, It's truly a stunning book. So tell us more about the book itself and the components of it and how that came together. The book is, uh, well, it focuses on the years of 1948 to 1954. So it's a visual sequel to Julia's book, My Life in France, that Alex co-authored with Julia. So it focuses on the street scenes of Paris, the fishermen, the buildings of post-war Europe Europe and Paris, um, many images of the countryside and Marseille, uh, but a lot of street photography and um, some more formal photography and experimental imagery as well. Yeah, the book is very atmospheric and sort of specifically atmospheric. Do you think that's a reflection of, 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 of a combination of Paul's eye and, and the moment in time? Or is that it, did you edit it in a way and you made it atmospheric? I think that's a, com- that's a lot to do with Paul's vision and what he was seeing and what, trying to capture the atmosphere of Paris. Particularly at that, po- you know, not so far beyond the post-war time. Yes. So, Alex, why, do, why don't you tell us, because this was uh, something that Katie began and you got involved in, and obviously you've spent both a lot of time with you, with Julia, who was your great aunt, and Paul, who was your great uncle. Um, but what was your role and, and how did you get involved? Well, as you just said, uh, Paul was my... Granduncle, I've been told that's how you're supposed to say it. Uh, oh, pardon me. He was the twin brother of my grandfather, Charlie Child. So I grew up knowing Paul and Julia. Uh, they never had kids of their own, but they were very generous with my sisters and my cousins and myself and always included us in whatever they were doing. And we used to sit and listen to their stories of their world travels. Uh, Paul was a diplomat right after the war. Not only did they serve in France, they also served in Germany and Norway and had lots of great stories. And um, in 2006, I helped Julia co-write her memoir, My Life in France, which chronicled what she called the favorite years of her life, 
1948 to 54, when they lived in Paris and then Marseille. And she learned to cook and and had what she described as a flowering of the soul. And um, we illustrated that book with Paul's photographs. And it was the first time that the public had really seen his pictures. And the response was overwhelming. I mean, literally every time I spoke about that book, people would ask me, uh, they would say, you know, I just love those photographs. I mean, as you say, they're very atmospheric. They really take you to Paris in the 40s and 50s. And uh, they would say, have you ever thought of doing a book of Paul's uh, pictures? And I always said yes. Um, And flash forward to 2015, I, I was finishing a book called The French Chef in America. It was a follow-up to My Life in France. It was about Julia in the 1970s and Paul. And uh, Katie had been working on her book of photographs and at that point uh, approached me and said, you know, would you be interested in working together on this? And I knew the story of Paul and Julia in France very well. Um, I loved the photographs. And so it was a natural fit. Um, And Katie and I have known each other for years, too, uh, through Paul and Julia. And so uh, the very first decision we made, the most important decision we made, was uh, not to try to do all of Paul's photographs in one book. He, um, he took pictures almost every day. That, that, that would have been a big book. What, what does the Schlesinger say? They have 40,000 40, negatives? Uh, at least. I mean, he took pictures every day of all sorts. And um, I think uh, Katie can speak to this, but I think she was feeling slightly uh, intimidated or even overwhelmed by this huge treasure trove. But we decided early on just to focus on the year's that they lived in France because people uh, were familiar with that story, uh, partly through our book and partly through the movie Julie and Julia, which um, our book inspired the Julia half of. And uh, also, I knew the story well, so I could write the text relatively quickly. Katie had amassed all sorts of uh, photographs and letters and documents, and so we sat down to write it together. And... um, it went relatively quickly once I came on board, and we really had a good time doing it. Yeah, the book really showcases kind of the context and has uh, more information about who Paul was and why he took photographs and about that time period and what was going on in their lives. So it's really nicely balanced. I mean, it's, it's essentially a, a photography book, but with a lot of good um, contextual information. So let me just go back to Katie for a second. Given that there were so many photographs, and I know even though we're talking about one small period, I'm sure there were way more than you could could reasonably print in a book. How, how did you start to make your selections, or what criteria did you use? Well, that was, that was the most difficult part, was narrowing it down, narrowing down to... 225 images in the book from thousands. But um, I, you know, it helped to have the story that Alex and I were working with to balance the photographs with. So I was... And and did you tend to pick your ones that had always been your favorites, or did you pick ones where you felt there was something symbolic of the of the moment and, and, and the period, or it's kind of a mix of both? Well, I did have my favorites, because originally my book idea was to be more of a coffee table book, an art photography book. So I had 
a group of photographs, a core group of photographs that I absolutely had to have. And then when we incorporated the the story on Paul, there were many images that served as wonderful illustrations of the story as well. So it was a combination of the, you know, must-have blockbuster art photographs combined with the the illustrations. You know, I'm realizing we're on radio slash podcast. It might be helpful for those who haven't had a chance or aren't sitting in front of a device to to Google the book. Can you just describe briefly one of the photographs that you would call one of your favorites or when you were thinking of it as a coffee table book? Um, Just to give people, just give our listeners a sense of, of what the images are like. Yes, well, we have a lot of images of Paris rivers, for example, and fishermen on the Seine and uh, Montmartre in the mist. Um, but one of my favorites is, uh, it's called the Silver Seine. Um, it's on page 58 if someone has access to the book. And it's a photograph of the river with the shallop boats on the, tied up to the bank and the bridge and, and just a wonderful composition of black and white and gray and re- reflections and it's a uh, one of the the consistent things about Paul's works are his compositions are beautifully balanced and always have a light and dark and very um pleasing to the eye image so this particular image transports you to that place and and feels very Parisian. Yeah, I'm looking at it now, and, and I think my description before of atmospheric is really fitting because you can you, you can almost feel the mist that's kind of settling over what must be a... a do you think it's sunrise or, um, or just after? Yes, a certain time of day. Exactly. I mean, I guess he may have manipulated the A moment the in time it, in Paris in 1949. And so, Alex, I, I don't know if you're set up to do this, but um, I, I'll ask you the same question: Is is there a photograph in the book that you that for you is a personal favorite, and, and that you also think I know it's hard to choose from because there are a lot of images, but is is really emblematic of of Paul as a photographer and in, in, in this period? Well, there are so many great pictures, and Katie did a great job finding them. Um, one that I had never seen before that I love. Was I don't have the book in front of me, but it's a photograph of Julia coming through a gate in Paris, uh, sunlight streaming behind her. Um, the gate is a graphically s- sort of, uh, it's a visually tantalizing image. And then Julia is kind of glowing. And if you look closely, you can see behind her, there's a, a sign that says, I think it says telephone or post. And it reminds me in the old days when you had to go to the the Pay-Tay-Tay to call America uh, or to mail a letter. Um, and I think it was taken when they were uh, newly arrived in France. And it's just a, it's a lovely, um, gorgeous photograph. And it, it combines many of Paul's strengths, not only um, his visual composition and his eye for uh, contrast, uh, but also his love for Julia. Um, one of the great things I think this book does is shows you Paul's eye and shows you Julia uh, when she was in the process of becoming Julia Child. This was Julia in the 50s when she was learning to cook and 
um, before she became famous. And it's just a, it's just a great shot. It's this great moment. I think those descriptions are really telling about how compelling this book is, both because it's about its subject matter, Joya and Paul and their life, but also because the photographs are so beautiful and kind of stand on their own merits outside of notoriety. And I also think it really, it's a very intimate with a small eye kind of um, being brought into their world and particularly their world at that time. And it makes it really um, compelling and enjoyable and it, 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 it's escapist. It kind of takes you away to those, to those moments nostalgically. Yeah, and I think okay. underneath all that, Go there's right a, you, you sense their love for each other. I mean, that photograph that I described, you sense Paul's fixation on Julia. And in some of the other photographs or some of the things she says in the text about Paul, you see her love for him. They really needed each other and, and um, relied on each other. And they called themselves a team, and in, in fact, they were. Absolutely. I think that, that really comes through. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to hear more from Katie and Alex about the reaction um, from the public since the book's publication last fall. We'll be back in just a minute. Bob's Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. One of the nice things about Bob's Red Mill is it's the only that I know of national supplier that's easily available for lots of interesting, hard-to-get grains and other seed products. So, you know, before Bob's Red Mill became widely available, you couldn't go get something like quinoa very easily, or you couldn't go get spelt easily in small quantities. But now you go to any one of the huge number of stores that carry Bob's Red Mill, and you can get smaller amounts of these really interesting, fun things to play with. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. In my tenure with the foundation, it's been amazing to see the public's thirst for pictures of Julia remains really unquenched, just, just as Alex mentioned when my, from his experience when My Life in France came out. And Katie and Alex have been doing a lot of events since the book's debut, so I'm Looking forward to hearing from them about their perceptions of the public reaction and the reactions they've received. And um, there's also the first ever exhibit of Paul's photograph, and in, in a big way, um, at the Napa Valley Museum in Yountville, California, which we're going to talk to both of them about. But I want to start with the public reaction, and maybe Alex, just start with you, kind of from your perspective. What what do you think the public reaction or What's the response you've received? Well, I think we can tell you from personal experience, it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been very warm and enthusiastic. We did a whole bunch of events uh, at the end of last year, uh, starting in, the, at, in Washington, D.C., Julia's Kitchens at the Smithsonian. Um, we did a bunch of events there and then worked our way across the country. And um, it sort of seemed to build momentum as the, sh- as the book tour went along. And then there was a professional reaction, which was we had great reviews from the critics, and we got written up by the New Yorker and the New York Times and um, most of the major papers, and it it really helps. Um, And it just shows you that 
although Julia died in 2004 and Julia and Paul died a decade before that, um, people are still fascinated by their story and want to know more and want to, they're curious about Paul. He led a very interesting life. And they're also curious about Paul and Julia's very unusual relationship. Well, and I think the book and the photographs really attest to it's not just idolatry. There there was a lot to them. They were fascinating people, and they were interesting people before they were celebrities. And um, Katie, did you want to add anything about how, how you perceived the public reaction? Well, with a subjective project like this, you never know what to expect. So I was very pleasantly surprised at how everyone really loved the book. And as Alex said, the reviews were wonderful. And um, I think a lot of people have wanted to know more about Paul, and this book really covers his his side of the story very well. And um, his photographs are have been very well received. And I think that's what you guys are both being modest, but one of the nice things about the reviews was they they weren't they weren't just talking about like oh well everyone likes to learn more about Julia Child and Paul Child and them personally and while it does convey that they were serious reviews about the book as a book of photography and gave Paul that credit and the book credit for being you know a proper work in that regard and i just to that note i think julia would be thrilled by that response because she uh, always felt that Paul didn't get the credit that he was due during his lifetime. She considered him a, quote, photographer of note. And I think he really is. Uh, he um, not only um, knew a lot of the 20th century's leading photographers in Paris, people like Kappa and Brassai and Steichen and Cartier-Bresson, uh, but his photographs um, are almost as good as theirs. They're very close, and he's, he really is a true artist. And I think she would be thrilled to see the response to this. And Katie, especially since you also had a very personal relationship and maybe one that was very you know, specific to, to your mutual interest in art, what do you think the book's publication would have meant to Julia and, and also to Paul? Well, I, I think Julia would have been very pleased and thrilled. She wanted this book to happen. And I'm, I know Paul would also be beyond ecstatic to see Quietly. his work displayed in such a wonderful way and with such attention and respect for his work as a as a photographer and a visual person. And, and do you think they would have been surprised at how much appreciation there had been? Do you think it would have been unexpected or just hoped for? Or? Surprised at the, rea- at the positive reaction? Well, that it's this strong and, and, that, and, that, and that it's beyond just who they are. I think they would be very happy. They probably would be surprised and very happy. Yes. I, th- I, th- I think that too. I think it, it's been wonderful to see this come to fruition and everyone's looked forward to it and, and knowing that it's something that really mattered to Joya. It's just wonderful that you and Alex could collaborate and, and make it happen and make it happen in such a you know, to, to Julia's high standards, if you will. I want to flip because there's another um, 
quite special component to the publication of this book as it's already starting to spawn hopefully future things about Paul's photography and other avenues of exploration about their lives and their artistic talents. So Katie, you've been the curator behind an exhibit of Paul's photographs in Napa. Could you tell us about, you know, how the book was sort of adapted for this exhibit and your approach and also, um, excitingly, the exhibit has been extended until the end of May, uh, May 20th to be specific. And what what could visitors expect to see if they uh, go to the Napa Valley Museum? Yes. Well, the exhibit is, as you said, is an extension of the book. And it contains at least 70 of Paul's photographs um, and a number of oversized, wall-sized panels of Paul's works. Um to create a real atmosphere and experience that the viewer, visitor can walk through and feel that, be transported to the place and to experience what Paul and Julia were experiencing. And are all the photographs, I haven't yet had a chance to go to the exhibit, are all the photographs images that are in the book or are there ones that are on exhibit that are not in the book? Most of them or many of them are in the book because I was working with already prepared digital files that were in the book, but some of them were not included in the book. Um, We also have a number of props, including Paul's camera, a recreation of Paul's art studio with his paintings, samples of his paintings, stained glass, and drawing and um, other nice aspects of the exhibit are the photographs are divided into different zones. So we have a Paris and urban photography zone with the images of the fishermen in the Parisian buildings and Notre Dame at night. Then we have Paul's studio with his props, those props, and then another zone is Julia's kitchen, with uh, photographs of her Paris kitchen and more props, a travel wall showing country photography, Marseille, and also some more family, personal photographs of Julia and Paul at home and with friends. Yeah, I wanted to say that that's what's so exciting about this exhibit is it really truly is a full exhibit. It's not just a hanging of his beautiful photographs. It's it's a whole exhibit that people can experience and learn more from, enjoy the photography, but also get more information on, on the context and the background and all these different elements, which I think is a really exciting outgrowth of this project. Yes. Um, and maybe I'll ask you guys the same question, because the, so the exhibit, um, it launched, I think, in November, and it's now been extended until May 20th. Um, how would you guys characterize also the, it, it kind of speaks for itself being extended, but I was curious if you had any thoughts to add on, on the public reaction to, to the exhibit. Well, I can just tell you that the night that we were there, it was the opening night and they held a party and, uh, there was a huge crowd and it turned out it was the largest crowd that museum has ever had. And it was their most successful show so far. And it's a small museum, but very nice, and in right there in Yountville, and, uh, uh, which is wine and food country. And so the people that were there were really enthusiastic, and 
as you say, the reason it was extended is because people keep going back. Well, that's really great to hear. Katie, did you want to add anything? Well, I'm thrilled that it's been extended. And the other, the other part of the exhibit that I didn't mention is that there's a wonderful audio tour, which has interviews with chefs who knew Julia, as well as Alex. So there's a, you can walk through the exhibit and hear Jacques Pepin, Cindy Paulson, Thomas Keller, Susie Heller, and Alex talk about Julia and Paul. And that's a really wonderful element of the exhibit and part of the experience. Yeah, which seems to have been re- really well received as well. And I think we um, there's not details yet, but the hope is and the aspiration for those who may not be able to get to the Napa Valley uh, before May 20th is that um, they are going to try to create a, a traveling exhibition um, and a we don't know the scope of the tour, but that will hopefully happen. So if you can't make it, hopefully the exhibit, since so much time and effort and careful planning and and vision has gone into it, will will uh, continue beyond the 20th of May as well. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Katie and Alex are going to reveal each of their own personal Julia moments. We'll be right back. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. When you flip anything, you really, you just have to have the courage of your convictions, particularly if it's sort of a loose mass like this. Well, that didn't go very well. See, when I flipped it, I didn't, I didn't have the courage to do it the way I should have. But you can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who is going to see? From Julia's immortal words, we segue into our last segment, which we call the Julia Moment. Here is when we ask our guests to share their favorite Julia memory moment or how she's inspired them in their career, and I'm particularly excited because Katie and Alex had lots of Julia moments in their lives, to hear what they picked. So why don't we start with Katie? What's your Julia moment you wanted to share? My Julia moment is when I visited Julia and Paul in France, I would go to the farmer's market with Julia in Grasse, France, which is a town near their house. And Julia would stop and talk with all the farmers and vendors. It was a very lively and fun experience. And she would look around and buy the freshest ingredients and take it home for lunch or lunch and dinner. And she especially loved buying whole-cooked beets, which she would use to prepare a salad of sliced beets, chopped egg, chives, and vinaigrette dressing. And that and that's your your both a precious memory and a favorite dish. That's one of my many wonderful memories. Great. Yes. <laughs> and Alex, what's your Julia moment? Well, mine is uh, somewhat uh, related to that one. I actually have two quick ones. The first is 
um, that Julia was genuinely curious about the world around her and the people that she met. When I was a kid, Paul and Julia used to come visit us here in New York City, and we would often go out to eat, and they would restaurant would put us in the middle of the dining room at the biggest table to sort of show us off. And then after the meal, uh, we would go back into the kitchen, and Julia would talk to every single person there, literally, starting with the head chef and working her way down to the dishwasher. And she had this wonderful, infectious enthusiasm, and she would extract these amazing stories from people. And she just, you could see she was having so much fun doing that. Um, And the second is that people know how funny she was, uh, but they don't often realize how hard she worked to get things right. And I experienced this personally. I mean, the, the, the legend is she would do each recipe in her book 10 or 12 times to make sure she'd worked out all the kinks. But I remember standing with her in our kitchen up in Maine. We have a family house. And her standing next to me and teaching me how to flip crepes. And I was a little kid, and I would get it wrong. And she would stand there, and she'd say, no, do this and do that. And, uh, you know, a little more with the wrist. And she just made it so much fun. But I was also learning something very valuable, that something I, I still use today. So both of these traits were a great example to me. You know, first of all, to be interested in the world and other people. And second of all, to work hard uh, to get things right and have some fun doing it. And I think that those lessons lodged in the back of my brain, and it probably explained why I became a writer or journalist, uh, because uh, she just made it look so much fun and 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 did so well at it. Well, I think that's a great kind of um, summation, too, of what the foundation really tries to foster, which is the combination of fun and education and that people learn best about things when they're enjoying themselves. And that was certainly something really important to Julia. And I think also what's amazing is, you know, here we are, you and Katie talking about this beautiful creative project that you've put together and brought to fruition that's already sp- spawning other things. And it's very much a culmination of Julian Paul's personal influence on on your lives as, as individuals, which is must be must be, be a, a very gratifying moment, um, especially knowing that I, I think it goes without saying Julian Paul would be immensely proud of what you both have accomplished. Absolutely. It's been a group effort and it's been really fun. Yes, it, it's I'm glad we've accomplish the book and the exhibit. It feels good, and we're looking forward to more. (laughs) Well, and I think everyone else is. So on that note, thanks for listening. Let us know what you think about today's show. You can reach us via email or even send us a voice memo to contact at juliachildfoundation.org. Please like us on Facebook, search at Julia Child. You can follow the foundation on Twitter at JuliaChildJCF, and I'm at T. Shulkin, T-S-C-H-U-L, K-I-N. To order your copy of Katie and Alex's book, I have to say it makes a terrific gift for a Julia fan or a Francophile or a photography lover. Search online for Francis a Feast, The Photographic Journey of Paul and Julia Child, published by Thames and Hudson, or ask for it at your local bookseller. And for a sneak peek at Paul's child, uh, Paul Child's photos from the book, we're posting a few on the Foundation's Instagram feed along with the foundation's logo, which was also designed by Paul. You can go to Instagram and search Julia Child Foundation, all one word. To learn more about the Francis of Feast, the photographic journey of Paul and Julia Child exhibit, go to napavalleymuseum.org and click on the photo of Julia. 
You can follow Alex Prudhomme on Twitter. His handle is at APFrenchChef and learn more about his work on alexprudhomme.com. And Prudhomme is P-R-U-D apostrophe H-O-M-M-E, but there's no apostrophe in his URL because you can't do that. Thanks to WGBH for the Julia Child audio clip from The French Chef. Our theme song is New French Horn by Novi Veltorni. If you like what you've been hearing, please subscribe. If you like the podcast, please give us a review. That really helps new listeners discover the show. We look forward to bringing you back into the Foundation world next time on Inside Julia's Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.